0: My name is David Hernandez, and you're listening to As the Pokeball Turns. Welcome to As The Pokeball Turns, where the stories are real and people still play this game. The Dragon type is one of the 18 types within the world of Pokemon. During the early days of RBY, the only Dragon attack was a move called Dragon Rage that only did a paltry 40 hit points worth of damage. Although seeing a blue flame in the Pokemon Stadiums games was really cool to see. Over Pokemon's history, more Dragon Pokemon and Dragon moves were discovered and introduced into the games. Powerful dragon families like Salamence, Garchomp, and Hydreigon terrorized the competitive meta alongside powerful legendary Pokemon like Rayquaza, the Lottie Twins, and the Tal Trio. With these Pokemon came strong moves like Dragon Dance, Draco Meteor, and Outrage that allowed these Pokemon to rampage through many Pokemon teams on the battlefield. In fact, the Dragon type became so powerful that Game Freak had to introduce a new type known as the Fairy type in an attempt to balance the playing field and end the Dragon type's dominance within the competitive meta. Just like people, there are also stories behind the world of Pokemon, whether it's the Dragon type to a specific Pokemon like Hydreigon. There are more layers in lore waiting for people to discover. And it's with this combination of lore and his love of Dragon Pokemon that led my guest to become a writer for Gohub. From Vasakapata, India, here's his origin story into the world of Pokemon Go. This is Meteor Ash 15. Today, I'm joined by a writer from Go Hub and self-proclaimed Dragon Master, Meteor Ash 15. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, David, Thanks a lot for having me. How are you doing?
0: Oh, I'm doing pretty good, my friend. Uh, how about yourself?
1: I'm really excited to be here. I've been <laughs> following you for quite a while, and yeah, yeah I'm finally here.
0: Oh, awesome, man. Well, one thing I want to talk about, because you're actually from India, and we were yeah. talking about it before we started recording. What part of India are you from, and what is it like over there?
1: Yeah, so I'm from a place called Vishakhapatnam, and it's a very lovely coastal city in the southern part of India, which is it's full of beaches and mountain ranges, so it's a very lovely place for anyone to visit.
0: Well, what is it like to play Pokemon Go out there? If people want to go for, like, a say, community or ray day, or, like, where do people go in your area to play?
1: It has been an increasing curve. I mean, when Pokemon Go started, so we had a good number of new players here. And over the course of the last few years, it has literally gone to many notches higher now. There are players throughout. I mean, we even have official meetups in my city. It's very good. The very active people. They play PvP, then they do raids regularly. They're very poetry fond of raid hours, which they actively do. So, yeah, it's a very good scene right now and it's very active and it's looking good. And recently, like, Niantic's uh, CEO came over to in India to offer the language support as well. And he particularly claimed that there's a lot of good things to come to the game uh, when India is concerned.
0: Well, let's start from the beginning before we dive into more of the Pokemon Go stuff. Yeah. What was your first experience with Pokemon?
1: When I was in the fourth grade, so the popular snack brand Cheetos, so they had Pokemon goodies coming along with the pack. And for most Indians in early 2000s, it was you know introduction to Pokemon in that way. And then down the line, you know, TCG cards, we, you know, it's very popular here. So when it comes to TCG, there's a lot of uh, untapped potential here. But for most people, anime has been the starting point.
0: So were you watching the Indigo League back when you were young, trying to watch Ash? Ah, oh, absolutely,
1: absolutely funny story here. So when I watched the Indigo League, I didn't realize that there will be more more uh, generations beyond uh, Gen 1. And when yes. Ash lost to Indigo League, I was like, what? Pokemon over now? And then when I saw the <laughs> to Pokemon Rebels, I am like, wow, okay, there's so much more to go. And obviously, as anybody would relate, Ash kept on losing every other league.
0: That's true. Yeah. Well, I guess people also forget that he did win the Orange League, though. Some people gloss over that. So he's not a complete <laughs> failure. He did win no, one. he was
1: never a failure. He's honestly a very inspiring character. I'll admit that he was nerfed in Gen 5. That anime, Black and White series, that is really trolled upon because it wasn't Ash at all, how he was released. He lost his ability to strategize, and Pikachu was so apparently nerfed as well. Other than that, that's Gen 5 uh, anime series, the rest, he was very good. Yeah, he is an inspiring figure.
0: Since we're on the anime part, you know, yeah. since you've watched the anime in its entirety, what was it like for you to finally see Ash from the first episode to finally winning the championship for the series ending? Like, How did that feel for you, knowing that Ash wasn't going to return?
1: It's a bittersweet journey honestly, we literally grew up with Ash, as a school student, me as well as all my classmates, we used to look forward to coming back home and watching Pokemon. That was the main motivation. So obviously as kids seeing Ash lose was like okay lucky, get back, he'll get back and then finally seeing him reach that sweet spot and that turned such an amazing way. I really liked the journeys anime, where he finally won the World Championship. Plus, it has a good, very good plotline as well. So yeah, it was bittersweet as well as cool to see that a character which with whom we have been associated for twenty plus years finally got what it deserved.
0: Definitely, because I remember I watched the. I haven't watched the entire Masters Eight series series. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I watched of course the last episode because I just had to watch it. You know, I just watch as much <laughs> as possible. So I did. It's like when you look up in the back of the book and you try to find out the ending. Perfect. Uh-huh. And even just watching that scene to where Pikachu's getting that will to fight right it's like on its last leg and it goes through the flashbacks I think that was just such an emotional scene and the then finally series. see Ash win yes. it was great and it's, it's hard to say goodbye to him because he's been a part of our mm-hmm. journey for 25 years or something like yeah, that yeah. but it's just so satisfying for him to finally win in my opinion
1: yeah they ended it really well like, they couldn't have done it better and even the last episode after he won the championship there were a few other episodes then he got a reunion with the original trio Brock, Ash and Mishti That trio was back for a while and then it was a very, very good ending I'll say I'm totally happy.
0: (laughs) So you said you played the first game, so I'm assuming you had played Red, Blue, and Yellow?
1: Yes, yes, yes. I've played all of those, but I'll say that initially I was always much into TCG when I was a kid. And though I did play the mainline games, it was so influential where I actually peaked. I started playing it more actively. Since Gen 8, I've played the mainline games very actively. And obviously, Pokemon Go has been my constant association for the last five, six years.
0: What's been your favorite generation of Pokemon?
1: Gen 9 actually, the current generation. Gen 9 introduced a know, whole range of abilities, new moves. The meta totally shook up. Like, right now, it has shifted so much that many people don't believe that ice types are so formidable right now. Ice types are usually considered among the weakest ones. But right now, they are dominating. there. are new. The, the relation phenomenon is amazing. I'll say it involves a lot of strategy and it beats mega evolutions and you know, Z-moves and even D-MAX and GMAX any day.
0: Yeah, because I remember back in the day, ice types were very difficult to use because they had a bunch of weaknesses, (laughs) and they they really didn't have the stats for it, and even Mm if they did, they faced a lot of weaknesses. You're talking fighting, you're talking steel, you're talking rock, which are all very common types. Yes, yes, yes. Now, the ice type as an offense was very strong, but you mostly saw that through the water types or Pokemon. Any Pokemon that can learn ice beam, basically, were the ones who more used the ice type, but the ice type itself... Usually it was always lackluster, so it's good to see that they're getting some love.
1: Yeah, they're totally dominant in it. I mean, I'm, my latest article on GoUp was on Baxcalibur, and I love Dragon types. And seeing our seeing dragon, a Dragonized type dominating the meta. It's been very satisfying.
0: What is it about Dragon Pokemon that you like?
1: I'm someone, whenever, whenever I see a new Pokemon game, it's not just about the stats, design and all that, but I also love the lore behind it. That's something I find really fascinating. So Dragon types in general, compared to other types, you know, they have a lot of backstory, a lot of inspirations. In a nutshell, Dragon types in general have a lot more lore science and obviously they're very powerful as well.
0: If you had a team of Dragon Pokemon, which six would you pick?
1: Garchomp and Baxcalibur are two of my, you know, sure shot dragons. Then I'll add Walking Wake, which is doing really, really good right now. It's very better in both Sun and Rain. I find Roaring Moon really, really good actually as well. It's incredible, you know, it has a very good, like, even though it, it has a quad weakness to vary, Terra types help it a lot. With no doubt I'm going to pick you know, Garchomp, Baxcalibur, Roaring Moon and uh, Walking Wake. Other than that, I do like Duraludum, and now that it has an evolution, so it evolved, it really well. know, it's too good. And finally, if I had to pick one more, I'll go with Hydreigon.
0: I like that you mentioned terrestrialization, because I think that really helped a lot of the Pokemon who had the four weaknesses. You know, you, mm-hmm. Hydragon was one of them. Yeah. You think of the bug flying Pokemon, like, they have a chance to change their type. And to be able to kind of show off what they can do without having to be held back by their typing. Because there's just some typings that are just very bad, like Rock mm-hmm. Steel, famously horrible, because it just faces four times weaknesses to ground and four times weaknesses to fighting. fighting well, yeah. But if you give it, say, like a terrestrialization, say, like a water or grass you lose all those weaknesses, and it makes the Pokemon be able to show off what it can do with its stats, which I think added a new dynamic and gave some Pokemon a way to kind of, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Does the that the make sense? Speech.
1: Yeah, it is. It is a feelings mutual. I'll give an example. Iron Thorns is so it's rock electric, and again it's quad weak to ground, weak to fighting as well. So it's generally a bad typing, Very bad typing defensively. Mm-hmm. But people have been abusing it by turning it into Terra Bug. So there is no more no more weak to fighting. No more weak to ground. In fact, it resists both such mechanics make it so, and it may make it very wholesome, and there's a lot of variety there.
0: And it's crazy, though, that you mentioned, because it's a bug terror type. Yeah. Bug types have always been known to be very bad. Like, we're talking maybe Volcarona is probably the only competitive bug type Pokemon for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that if you just give it a bug terror type to that specific Pokemon, it added so much complexity. It does, opinion.
1: it does, it does, because some terror types suit an offensive role, and some suit a defensive role. So, for uh, instance, as I mentioned, Iron in Iron Thorn's case, uh, it's a very good defensive profile to turn it to bug. And, and yeah, not, that... not to mention, it also gets Spin Whistle, so that's the as well, it's a multi move.
0: Now one thing that you're known for, or people may overlook, is that you actually are into smoking battling.
1: Right, right. For
0: those who may not know what it is, what is smogon?
1: So smogon offers a platform to do Pokemon battles by creating teams of a choice with customized IVs, then items in nature. But more importantly, it creates meta tiers based on usage and how good a portly Pokemon is.
0: And how does smogon determine which Pokemon go in which tier?
1: It's totally based on usage. Initially OU overuse is the most common tier where people can try it almost any Pokemon and mm-hmm. uh, when a new Pokemon is released it is put into OU tier mostly and based on one month's you know, analysis of how much people are using it and how powerful it is, it will either band ban to higher tiers or, or goes on to lower tiers. So we have Ubers, which is the highest tier, you know, where most legendary is going rampant. And then OU, the most basic tier, and then uh, under that, you have underused. Literally, it's underused. Then uh, really used. So there are different tiers based on the usage stats.
0: Now, what's interesting is that Smogan, like you said, does it by usages. Yeah. Pokemon Go tries to add diversity in regards to, like, meta, they do types, they do bands like that. Do you think Pokemon Go could benefit from maybe mm-hmm. doing a tiers just like Smogan? or introducing that maybe. in some way?
1: It will, it will. It's a very interesting question. Let me give you an example. Let's take Hydreigon for Master League. Alright, so hydreigon is it's literally underused there. Because though it does very brutal swing, doesn't have a good second charge move. And it's underused and it has a double weakness to Fairy. But let's assume that there's a player who's really into Hydreigon. Now, that person would hesitate using Hydreigon because it's Dialga, that's Zashian, that's Togekiss. Just to name a few, three big threats from Hydreigon has nothing to do. Now, if we consider two Pokemon like Zashian and Dialga, now if we introduce tiers, they are bound to be Ubers, the topmost tier. So, let's assume hmm. they both are in the Ubers tier, the highest tier, where they have good usage, they have, they have very high usage, they fit into teams easily, plus they're really good in general. Now, if someone wants to use Hydreigon in the Master League, they can use it without worrying about facing Zacian, Togegas uh, and Dialga. So, this gives people more flexibility to try out new Pokemon. I mean, one of the main issues with PvP, I feel, is that it's very monotonous. And after a point, it gets boring. I mean, you're more or less running into the same Pokemon. So to sum it up, having tiers in PvP, like Go Battle League, essentially, would give people the opportunity to not only really have more flexibility in choosing teams, try out more Pokemon, and also, you know, like, get rid of this, get rid of this monotonicity.
0: You've been listening to As the Pokeball Turns. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
1: I think it's the most important aspect when it comes to the franchise in general. I think catching is a great mechanic and catching is essential to Pokemon Go. I I know many people like the catching aspect way more than the battling aspect. Because the franchise as a whole, I feel that the battling aspect, entire dynamics of having 18 types and the interactions between them, like dual types, abilities, natures, different move effects, like all the interactions that make a battle really feel like a chess game to be honest. I think everyone would agree that the future of Pokemon Go is 3
0: To hear the rest of this story, listen to Trainer's Eye number 12. He always delivers, featuring Broom Broom Pal. Now let's get back to the episode. So Pokemon Go comes out in 2016. Yeah. Were you a day one player or did you have to come in the game
1: later on? Uh, later on. So I still remember the date I started playing Pokemon Go and it was 24th October 2017. It was the Halloween event and the reason I got into it was like I was always thinking of starting the game but it never really got a tank. I was very much you know, occupied with my work and all and just one fine day my girlfriend told me that you know like I was playing Pokemon Goat and I cause an icons. and I was like okay let's give it a shot why not just download the app and start playing. I so it was actually better than I expected because I started with the Halloween event and the team and that, if you recall uh, in 2017's event there was this amazing poster of you know Gengar in the middle surrounded by other ghost pokemon and Gen 3 was introduced to that thing. So, when I started playing the game, it was a total blast because I had that Lavender team playing and having good spawns around. I remember my first catch after the starter was Hypno. That was the first catch after the starter. And mm. Hypno is not something everyone catches every day. So, I had a very good start to the game.
0: What team did you end up choosing?
1: I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm in Valor. For the very reason, I, I find Fire is a very cool in general. I like Fire mm. types. And yeah, Maltress, I always found It's really cool. It's not cool, it's hot. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like, the something about Walter living in Volcano, so, the entire, you know, of it. I always found it really nice. So, that was an obvious change, I thought, and, and, and it's a very silly to say, but I find the name Valor really cool. Compared to Mystic and uh, Instant.
0: So, PvP comes out in 2019, but before that, how did you play the game? Were you a grinder? Were you a collector? Like, what was your way to engage Pokemon Go before PvP came out?
1: I was more of a collector, let say, before PvP came out. I did have interest in raids, but it was, it was, it was just, you know, adding it to your decks and maybe get a good IV. But other than I, didn't, I didn't really like catching Pokemon and yeah, obviously I obviously have a very good oxygen of Chinese. So that was a motivator as well. But overall it was more of being a collector. I used to love getting rare candies to evolve Pokemon as much as possible. So yeah, it was a, it was I was more of a collector then.
0: Was PVP something that you instantly got hooked in or was there like a little bit of delay? Like when did you start first gain the interest in PVP?
1: Oh, at the moment of its release. Because like having a competitive background in smoke on Pokemon Bash is something I really enjoy. So mm-hmm. the date, day, I obviously don't remember the exact day when released, release, but I remember that Aspen was live and started playing immediately. I always loved it. I tried to play as many uh, Pokemon as wanted and I was very fascinated by their animations, movie animations. So it was altogether a very good good experience for me right from the beginning.
0: Was the way the PvP presented itself what you hoped it would be, or were you hoping for something a little bit different for Pokemon Go?
1: To be honest, initially it was good. I liked how it was there, and then with the second charge who coming up later, it was uh, again very good. But down the line, like and I had the same issue which people have today as well. I found it to a, more, to a point after increasing the RAM to an extent, it was it really boring. I mean, just about you know, more of the same teams. So I did have concerns with the lack of variety of Pokemon used. And mm, especially and st- when you actually come from a background where you play Battle of Smoke and where you can literally face any Pokemon there.
0: What's your favorite meta to participate in?
1: Always, Master League. I mean, contrary to popular, I mean, very unpopular opinion, but I find Great League like, the most boring. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so around the same time, PvP comes out that same year, but you also start writing for GoHub. Yeah. What made you want to uh, start writing for GoHub? What interests you to become a writer?
1: So to answer that, I should tell you what I actually do for a living. So apart mm-hmm. from being a mechanical engineer, I'm also a content writer. I write content for uh, websites, blogs, and all that. So when I saw a writing opportunity in Pokemon, it was like a match between heaven. Pokemon and writing, what is could to ask for. And obviously, mm-hmm. go up, game pressure. Uh, these are two, you know, media boards which I've followed for quite a while.
0: And you started writing, you write about a lot of things. Of course, you write about the events. The one thing I really like about what you do is you really get into what you alluded to earlier, mm-hmm. is the lore and the science behind Pokemon. What is it about that aspect of Pokemon that really engages you and wants you to be able to write that content for people to read?
1: I think the lore aspect offers a lot of depth compared to other parameters when you think about a Pokemon. And what, what I really like about it is when you start exploring a Pokemon slower, you, you also come across new stuff which you didn't know earlier. An instance for a recent article was on Baxcalibur. So when I was writing the science part, because I have an engineering background, I always include parts on the science as well. So there was this particular, I won't get into the technical details, obviously, but there was this particular transformation from, of two-phase transformation of a cubertile form of wise to hexagonal form. And it may be realized that, know, that relates to frigibax and Bastard as well. So, you know, these tiny details which you come across entirely on your own, having no background on it and from your own research. So it's really fascinating. It gets me hooked to the Pokemon more, more than before.
0: So I used to do lore stuff for the Community Day Pokemon, back when I used to do a news show before this became full interview. And I would go into, not the science, but more the social aspect Mm -hmm. of how this Pokemon survives, how it survives in its ecosystem. And that was always the fun part, which is I've always appreciated about Pokemon. Of course, the surface level for people, if you watch the anime, play the games, you can develop that bond. But there's also just more depth, or if you want to dig into this franchise and really learn how these Pokemon kind of work, there's a lot more details that people can easily overlook.
1: Right. And also, when you come across fan art from people on on Twitter and uh, Instagram... They often mm-hmm. depict Pokemon in a natural setting, you know, how would their habitat be, their hunting habits, then how they survive, how they interact with other Pokemon, you know, all this stuff. Being a Dragon type family, i always found this Pokemon Pocus entry of, you know, Garchomp and Salamence interacting for food. Really cool. If you've read mm-hmm. the Pokemon entries, so there's a portal one which states that Garchomp and Salamence engage in middle battles for source of food. So these kind of entries and then also when you, as I mentioned, you know, when you dig deeper into it, you come back to stuff which... It feels like something which you only, only you know. Uh, others haven't found
0: out yet. Without a doubt, because I remember when I read... I don't know, have you done one on Hydragon yet?
1: Yeah, I did, I did.
0: Okay, so I'm going to show you the stuff that I found. Okay, okay we're going to have a little bit of a hydrogon segment right now. Awesome. So when I did the uh, Hydragon segment, mm-hmm. from what I remember, I think it's blind. Its scars are from when it's trying to run around a little mm-hmm. bit. So one thing I asked is, like, when it evolves into Zuelas, yeah. it grows another head, and they're always bickering, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The, the question I asked when I did it, why are they bickering? Mm-hmm. Why would two heads try to bicker at each other? And I thought about it from this angle, and share your insight from what I'm about to say. hmm I imagine myself that I change forms, right? I don't know what it's like to evolve right away. That'd be weird. Mm-hmm. But imagine yourself, like, evolving into another Pokemon. Right. And you get a second head that comes out of nowhere.
1: Right, right, right. exactly. Right? Exactly, exactly.
0: And my theory is that they're fighting because one head thinks that it's trying to take over the other. And it's like, one thinks it's an intruder, and the other one thinks it's the other person an intruder. It's a, basically a battle of misperception, right? Mm-hmm. To where one head, they see another head, and it's like, what does this person do to get off kind of thing? And they constantly bicker that way.
1: Got it. Got it, got it. What do you think? actually very much at. in fact even in my article i covered the same so there are two possibilities here so the first case is where the two heads are you know, literally fighting over each other to see which is the dominant mm-hmm. one and uh, dig deeper if you see growth evolution you will basically need more amino acids or in other words more food more resources mm-hmm. more water literally everything okay so it often ends up which head has got the best of both worlds that's the one which ends up being dominant head so, your theory is actually very plausible because it's literally the survival of the fittest. The one which is more active, more energetic, more nourished, that, that ends up being dominated. So, yet it does make sense. At the same time, there's another very good theory that when hydrogen finally evolves, the head ends up being an entirely new one altogether and the two previous sets of zolas have died entirely. They were lobotomized yes. yeah, basically.
0: Oh my gosh! We're about to kick out here in a minute. That was my <laughs> same conclusion when Hydragon evolves. Yeah. My theory was the winner between those two, they, they, between they, they. the two Zwillis, becomes the mastermind of these Zwillis. I believe the Pokédex says mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. other two heads of the Zwillis are like puppets almost. They yeah, don't really yeah, have yeah, any yeah. life. And there's only that one. And then, of course, if you read more in the Pokedex, it says that the Hydragon goes on a rampage. And I think of maybe the constant fighting, the constant bickering. Keep in mind that it started as a blind Dino. Right, right, right. right. And a blind Z- I think Zwellis is also blind. So I don't think yeah, yeah, can yeah, see. It's
1: blind It's wonderful.
0: Yeah. And then that's what also adds on to his destructive path or his reason why it would be so destructive one destroy mm-hmm. villages. Imagine if you can't see your entire life and all of a sudden you see sight it's like going from a dark room and you just see nothing but light, it's very blinding so it's getting all these experiences of seeing everything new, trying to figure out this world on top of having to compete for resources mm-hmm. and compete mm-hmm. against a random head mm-hmm. it's basically a Pokemon that literally victim of its own kind of body at this point to where it was born blind yeah. grew a head that it had no idea where it comes from yeah. because keep yeah. in mind yeah. it can't yeah. see and then it's just going on rampage because that's all it knows that's all the only way you can respond at that
1: right point. I totally agree in fact the one I wrote the article I wrote on this theory It's I literally called it Hydreigon Pet symmetry. and in this case imagine you have been blind throughout a life and then being blind you also have to compute another of your later like, of your own kin. You had to find mm-hmm. with another uh, sibling basically to for resources. And then suddenly you're bigger than before, you're able to see. So even if you see the antiform form of it, the adrenal gland gets suddenly o- o- overactivated with sudden uh, access to sight. And then the only thing you need to have to do is to go on a rampage.
0: Exactly, you yeah. just destroy everything because yeah. you don't know what's friend, you don't know what's foe. The way you knew the world is completely backwards now because you once blind, but now you can see. But when you see, you don't know what you're seeing.
1: But you know, the, the, the biggest irony here is that uh, people would assume that hydrogen is not intelligent whereas it actually is. It's very intelligent.
0: Well, Meteor Ash, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your story. If people want to connect with you, if they Thanks. want to read your articles, where can they go? By all means, please plug away.
1: Oh, I'm always in Twitter. I'm called 15 Everywhere. And uh, yeah, it's always a ga- the, in the profile picture, I have a Garchomp.
0: Cool beans. And I'll make sure to include links to everything he said in the description of today's episode. Thank you for listening to As the Pokeball Turns. If you want to support the show, consider becoming a Patreon by either clicking the link in the description or going to patreon.com/slash. As the Pokeball Turns. Now, here's a sneak peek for the next episode of As the Pokeball Turns.
1: PVP community, you guys need to learn how to floss. Your life will change after it. It is such a fun exercise to do. You don't know what you're missing. You gotta give it a try. You know, even even uh, Tyrannosaurus's dad's daughter. He tried, she tried as well, and she's learning.
0: The kids can learn, you guys can learn as well.